0: Praise the Lord, yes, I love the claps, right? <laughs> right? God is worthy of our claps, right? And even if you're like, dang, that's just, they're really good musicians, guess what? Yeah, they have some work, but God gave them the talent. <laughs> so all we can do is still praise Him. Let's just praise Him every time, right? Cool. Uh, I'm Brian, hey. Hi, everybody. Thanks for saying hi back. It's very comforting. Um, my name is Brian Williams. Brian Howard is also up here often. If you're new here and you're like, um, you know, I haven't seen this guy yet, well, there's a different Brian who is up here often, and he and I um, share the stage, the pulpit of preaching um, with, a, with some other people as well who get opportunities to come up. Um, but Brian preaches probably two or three times a month, and then I preach like once a month-ish, something like that. Um, but my job is really just to be here with you guys and serve you guys. Sarah, who was up here doing announcements earlier, she and I um, tag team this ministry and getting an opportunity to be with you guys, pray with you guys, pour into small groups, um, organize what happens on Thursday nights, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you haven't met me before, or if you haven't met Sarah, I, she probably she says at the beginning of service usually, come say hi. We'd love to meet you. Um, come say hi after service. Yeah. yeah, it's true. All right, well, tonight... We are starting a new series. Uh, We're in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, Uh, and um, as we open the book of Hebrews, we're actually going to be starting at, not at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, and that may be odd, uh, but we're actually going to start near the end. So we're going to take eight weeks, and we'll be covering just three chapters of the book of Hebrews, chapters 11, 12, and 13, and actually tonight we're tackling all of chapter 11, The whole thing. Don't worry, we won't be here for like two hours. We'll be okay. Uh, This may seem odd, like I said, because you're like, why are we only doing the last three chapters? That doesn't make much sense. Uh, But if we were to march through the whole book of Hebrews, all 13 chapters of this letter, we could spend the rest of 2021 doing so. There's a lot in there. It's very dense. Um, It's very good. And there's just a bunch of other passages, a bunch of other topics that we believe are important and that we want to get to throughout the rest of this year. And so we're just looking at the last three chapters. And these chapters cover some really important stuff. Uh, Chapters 12 and 13 especially get into some nitty-gritty stuff about life and the expectations of the follower of Jesus. And some of these things uh, that we're going to be talking about over these next eight weeks are are not frequently brought up. They're they're easily ignored or dismissed, or it's just something that we don't really spend time thinking about. And so that's why we're getting into it. We're going to wade into these often avoided chapters in the book of Hebrews because we think it's important to enjoy and embrace and respond to all of the scriptures and all that God has to say to us. Now, some things about the book of Hebrews or the letter of Hebrews, it's actually a letter that was written to a people um, a long time ago, is that we don't know who the author is. We don't know who the author of this letter is. There are speculations and uh, a lot of, there's several very plausible arguments for who the author is. But because the author does not expressly identify themselves within the the contents of the letter, there's not a consensus on who the author was. What we do know is that it was an apostle of Jesus, somebody who walked with him and knew him. Uh, And from the contents of the letter, we can see that it was a dude, that it was a guy. And I don't, like, and he's, this guy was very... I can't, this ler, learned, <laughs> that's not the right word. He was a smart, he was educated, maybe that's the best. It's more than educated though, because like he, his writing was next level, like next level. In the Greek, uh, you look at how it was composed, like I don't read Greek, so I, I'm going off information that other people that are smarter than me, or at least who understand Greek, maybe they're not smarter than me, they just understand first century Greek. But, they can look at it and see very clearly that, that whoever wrote this is like an 11 out of 10 in their composition, in their use of vocabulary, in, in literary structure. I mean, and this isn't just within the Bible. This is like all of like first century, anything Greek related to that area. This guy was cream of the crop and his ability to, to be a wordsmith and build an argument in a beautiful, decorative way. It's top-notch. It's what everything else is compared to. So this guy knew what was going on. He was learned. <laughs> he probably wouldn't use that word. I, I Probably. Yeah. So, we don't know for sure who the author is, but we can surmise that he was writing to Jewish Christians who were suffering for their faith in Jesus And much of the first chunk of this letter is a defense of the superiority of Jesus. The superiority of Jesus in a priestly position and as the ultimate sacrifice. See, those two things, the the ritual sacrifices and the priesthood that were established under Jewish law, ultimately were all pointing to Jesus. Really, that Jesus is the, the completion, the fulfillment of all those ritual practices, all that law. So to make our way to chapter 11, which we're going to be in tonight, which actually is a very famous chapter, it's, there's a very important chapter, but as we make our way there, we can see that the, the apostle is about to lay out this beautiful discourse about, about the triumphs of faith over the allures and tares of the world. And this chapter, this whole chapter, chapter 11, is often called the Hall of Faith, and it's a declaration that the biblical Hall of Fame is defined by their faith in God and His promises. They're defined by faith. That it's through faith that they laid the groundwork for the hope that you and I, that we all now have. That is by faith that they resisted the greatest temptations sustained the, the heaviest of persecutions. It's by faith that they were preserved in, in the face of imminent dangers or, or performed the most difficult acts of obedience. Hosea, what up, dude? It is by faith that they are positioned to obtain the most distinguished reward, and that is acceptance by God. That is the reward worth pursuing. That is the reward worth casting everything else aside in life, is to be accepted by God, And it is faith that leads to that reward. Not just now, but always. It's always been that way. See, those in the biblical hall of fame, just like you and I, are brought into the presence and service of God by faith. In fact, that's what the author here of Hebrews has been setting up through the ten chapters that led up to this one. It's been referenced, it's been alluded to along the way that faith in God's identity and his plan is vital and always has been. So this is what we're about to get into. But first, to clarify any misconceptions and to show that the grace of faith is attainable for people in every age, every circumstance, the author gives us a concise and clear description, a clear definition of what he's referring to when he's talking about faith. So, verse 1 of 40. You ready? (laughs) You guys ready? Some of you got intimidated. Verse 1. (laughs) He writes this. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Then verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. So that's what we're going to understand faith to be. This is the definition we are to hold when we think about faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now regarding hope. Hope plays a key role in faith. Paul in Romans 8, he writes this. He says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is based on mystery. That there's a void between what we we now know and what the future holds. The, The future is mysterious. There's a gap that we can't possibly fill, that none of us can possibly fill right? Like there's past, present, future, right? We all got that, like in the timeline, past, present, future. We got that. And for all of us, for you, for me, for all humans ever, except for maybe um, Marty McFly, because that was pretty amazing. But for all of us, we can reflect on the past. We can think about the past. We can reflect on what happened there. We can experience the present. And right now, each of us, can do one of three things with the future. Like right now, without moving from your chair, you can contemplate the future and fill the gap between yourself right now, in this chair, in this room, maybe at home. You can fill that gap, that mystery of the future in one of three ways. So you can either ignore it, YOLO, (laughs) you can have hope, or you can be anxious. Those are the three options of how we fill the gap between where we are and what we'll be. Faith is to fill the gap with hope and then to put confidence in that hope such that we are steadfast no matter what the present experience is like. Faith begins with having hope. And in our context, for us, that hope that we have, that we hold on to, that we pursue, that we put faith in is defined by God himself and the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like for all of us, when we survey the mysteries of this world, like the mystery of suffering and pain, to hope is to fill it, to fill the the gap with the promise that one day God will bring to completion the victory over death and sin achieved with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When contemplating the injustice of inequality, the injustice of racial bias or racism, the, the injustices or the perversions of law and government and order, to hope is to confront the mystery of, of how. And when, when will God reconcile these things? When will he make these injustices right? When will he, will he fix them? To confront that mystery with the power and ability and promises of God that he will make these things right. He will. When doubting the, the value of time spent in prayer or fasting or, or service to God or service to God's people, When the the fruitfulness of relationship with God seems distant. Hope, in what Peter writes in his second letter, he says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, that's a little bit of a jab. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What we perceive as slowness might just be us undermining the value of God's deliberate patience. We fill the gap between what we are presently experiencing and that which we have not yet experienced. and We, we're, we should fill it with hope. That God is patient, not slow. That God is patient, not slow. So faith begins with hope. And then it manifests through confidence in that hope. When spending time with God in prayer or through reading scriptures, if it feels fruitless, put confidence in the hope that brought you to that practice in the first place. That God is who he says he is that his spirit is within you, that he will finish the good work he has started in you. Keep at it. Don't give up. Find a different way to pray. Double back and fulfill the things he's already called you to. But don't give up because that's not faith. Have faith. Continue to put hope in the gap and then faith in that hope such that your actions reflect your hope. So, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Verse 3. This is found a foundational assumption of the Christian worldview it's foundational that god made something from nothing that all this all his handiwork there's intention that there's purpose to this stuff there's meaning to it that existence matters the faith uh, in the creator that is expressed in verse 3 it, it establishes meaning a universal meaning, a transcendent authority, something to which submission or acceptance is not just logical, but necessary. By faith, we understand this truth. And that's not to say there's no evidence. That's not to say there's no evidence. But it's an acknowledgement that there is mystery. Mystery. Faith is not like a counterpoint to no evidence, but a response to an incomplete understanding. That which we can't fully grasp, that which we can't fully understand, there's a gap. And what do you fill the gap with? Just hanging out for a moment here on verse three. like, Like, I see things in this world All of this stuff, right? Creation, matter, consciousness. And I see these things that that have purpose and order. And the biblical narrative has meaningful correlations to what what I see. And there is substantial evidence for belief in this statement, verse 3. Substantial evidence for it. But at the same time, not every question is answered in detail within the book of Genesis of how this came to be. Not every detail is answered about why this happens or that happens or why in my specific life and circumstance, in my little corner of the world, it is the way it is. Not all those details are answered. There's gaps. I don't completely understand. I don't completely understand how God did this. There's a gap where faith can be exercised or discarded. Faith is not a matter of no evidence, but of an incomplete understanding. And there are no answers to these big questions that that result in no mystery. There's no answers that that fulfill it completely. There's a gap. There's always gonna be a gap. And so we assess based on, on what evidence we do have, what we can understand, and then where the where the strongest evidence points, we build our hope. We bridge the gap with hope and then faith. The contention of verse 1 is that hope must manifest into faith or it's no hope at all. You can have a hope, but if you're not staking your life on it, then what's the point? If you're not putting faith in that hope, then is it really impacting you? Is it really hope at all? Faith is a void filler. I believe because of what I've seen and reasoned, but there is a place where my experience and my reasoning is inadequate, and that that gap is where faith comes into play. One thing that I think is really unique and interesting is that even the disciples needed faith. Even the disciples who walked with Jesus, right? They experienced like the beauty and otherworldliness of his life and his love and his interactions. Like they saw the miracles. They experienced the miracles and they still needed faith. Because even for them, there were gaps in their understanding. Like they're like they're with Jesus. <laughs> they're with Jesus and they still have to wrestle with like but he's like a man, like, I don't get this. Like, how does this work, right? Like, what do you mean you're God's son? Like, how is it that we must be born again? Nicodemus' famous question, how, how, how does that work? What are you saying? Or that you'll destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days? Or, or how did you walk on the water? Like, how exactly did that happen? Were your feet above it, below it, somewhere in the middle? Like, did the waves impact? Like, how did that happen? What do you mean I have to pick up my cross and carry it? What do you mean by that? There were gaps for them too. And as we're about to get in this hall of faith, there were gaps for all of these people too. Even the people who ate the manna and saw the walls of Jericho fall. There were gaps in how this worked and that faith was required. For all of humanity, since the day Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there is a place and a need for faith. See, even as we contemplate that day when every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and a day when every tear will be wiped away, there are mysteries. Like, when? When is that going to happen? Why haven't you done it yet? It's a mystery. Why must we wait? I come back to 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There are gaps. There are gaps and mysteries for those of us living and following God right now. There were gaps for those who wrote the New Testament There were mysteries about life with God for those who lived out the Old Testament. But what do we see in verse two? That the ancients were commended for their faith in the face of the mysteries. For their assurance of what they did not see. Verse four, okay, now we're really gonna get rolling. Buckle up. I should have brought water. This is a lot of reading. All right. If you have your Bible, it's helpful to get it out. We're going to be, like I said, we're doing all of, of Hebrews 11. Uh, so this is, we're going to start rolling now. Ready? Listening in ears on. By faith, Abel brought God to a better offering. God brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he commended the world and condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He was He has prepared a city for them. You know, verse 13. They did not receive these things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They longed for the promises of God. They desired the promises of God to come to pass in their own life and put faith in God to deliver those promises when and how he saw fit, not themselves. What is it that you long for? I mean, to ask like a grander question, like what is it we long for? Like humanity, right? Like what does humanity long for? What do we all ultimately long for? Is it not peace, and harmony, no more pain, no more suffering, justice, healing, no more death? All these things are brought into completeness in Christ. And will be entirely fulfilled and experienced on that last day when God chooses to come in power or when you and I pass on from this mortal existence, believing in the power and reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. See, all of us, all of us have a longing for another land, another home like the one promised by God. All of us long to see more of God, more of the values in life that Christ embodies manifest in this world and in this life here on earth. But what we long for, what we hope for, there is a gap. There is a gap, not just in our present experience, but in the process through which it will arrive. There's gaps between what we now know and what will come. So we all, all of us, must ask, do I put confidence in my hope for the kingdom of God such that I willingly work towards it despite the gaps? Do I put confidence in my hope for the kingdom of God such that I willingly work towards it despite the gaps? Because that's faith. These people we just read about, and those we're about to reflect on, there's more to come, had hoped had a hope that was not yet realized. They had opportunity to abandon faith, to turn from their hope and settle back into that time-worn familiar consciousness and life experience. They could have done that, but they chose faith. They put confidence in their hope in such a way that they soldiered on from what was, from what they knew, believing that one day, that land they hoped for would become a reality that God is a promise keeper. For you and I, like for you and I just right now, like tomorrow, on the most basic level, we have the spiritual disciplines and other practices (laughs) that are acts of faith. Prayer, fasting, service to others, regular time in the Bible, self-sacrifice, hospitality, These are not chores in order to earn our allowance. But a longing for a kingdom full of values and experiences that measure up to the God who created us. You got to ask yourself, as I do as well, do I put confidence in my hope for the kingdom of God? Am I willingly working towards it despite the gaps? Verse 17, all right, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead and so in a manner of speaking he did receive back Isaac from the death from death from the death that's funny verse 20 by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future by faith Jacob when he was dying blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff by faith Joseph when he was that when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. It's heavy stuff. If you ever read the Bible or or your view of the Bible is that it's all this like happy, pretty stuff, you haven't really read the Bible. (laughs) It's true to humanity, it's true to humanity. faith in and dedication to what god is up to and into and all about is contrary to the patterns of this world and that friction is going to bring trouble when you are going this way and the masses are all going that way there's bound to be friction there's bound to be collisions humanity humanity suffers from insecurity at the core, we suffer from insecurity. And that manifests in a mindset that, that sounds like this. This is a title of a book that's on my shelf, and it's, it's this. I'd like you better if you were more like me. I'd like you better if you were more like me. And that's, that's the tune to which the world dances, and unfortunately the tune to which many Christians dance as well. Heck, these days, I like probably a better, more accurate title or line would be this, I'd hate you less if you were more like me. But you and I, for us, those who are disciples of Jesus and sons and daughters of God, we're not to entertain that kind of worldly thinking. Our aim is not for them to be like us. That's not our aim. That's not our goal. Our aim is for us to be like Him, that we may live in love like Jesus. And in so doing, His love expressed through us will draw them to Him as well. It's not about them being like us. It's about us being like Him and then them being drawn to Him, not us, because of the love expressed through us, the hope expressed through us, the faith with which we live, Such a life where we are sawing against the grain will cause some splinters and some people will be confronted and offended and just the fact that a life could be so surrendered and humbled before God, it's offensive in ways. It may bring scorn or retribution against you but that is no reason to adopt the world's mentality of I'd like you more if you were more like me. No, our goal is always to be like him and to point people to him as well. It takes faith. It takes faith to turn the other cheek. Faith that God's ways are better than mine. Faith that even when I don't see, I don't. it doesn't seem to be helping me. Faith that his ways are better than mine. And to stick with it. Verse 39, these, like all these people, that's what he's referring to, all those people we just read about, were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what he's referring to here is Jesus that the ultimate thing to which all of these people hoped for, uh, the the thing to which, the answer to which all the hopes that they had hung on, on God would be revealed through is Jesus. And none of them got to see him walk this earth while they lived on earth. So all these people had a hope in God's plan and deliverance and faith in that hope, yet their hope was not fully realized in their lifetimes. God had something better planned. And what some could have seen as slowness was God's patience in bringing about his plan so that more and more people may enter into his love and salvation. See, willing or not for all of us, willing or not, Our lives are a participation in God's exercise of patience. As the believer, as the one who follows Jesus, as the one who wants to be like Jesus, that is a place in which our suffering makes us more like Him. That we get to participate in God's patience. That us not seeing justice come about for us. Maybe us having that thorn in the flesh remain. is us participating in God's patience. It's actually an honor. And it's so upside down and crazy. And maybe you're sitting there and your head's spinning and you're like, what? But willing or not, our lives are a participation in God's patience. Exercise of patience because he desires for more and more and more people to have the opportunity to come into the redemption and life and love that he offers through Jesus. Band, if you guys want to make your way back up. We did it. (laughs) Hebrews 11. Way to go, guys. All of it. That wasn't too bad. We all have a need for hope. And for faith. We need to persist in it. A faith that was modeled for us by the ancient men and women of God. A faith for which they were commended by God. And through which they now counsel and comfort and encourage us. We all must remember and hold on to the reality. That this story, this grand story that God is authoring through time. Extends well beyond our short 80 years on Earth, if that's what we get. It goes well beyond us. If perhaps we live and die and never see the clouds rolled back and Jesus descend to bring justice, or never have the prayer answered for that thorn in our flesh to be healed, even then, hope manifest through faith, will not be wasted. And by no means does our death or suffering mean God's mean that God's faithfulness can be held in contempt. In Matthew 8, there's a story of a Roman soldier who comes to Jesus with the hope that that Jesus would heal his paralyzed servant who was suffering terrible. And this soldier, this centurion, exhibits such a complete faith in Jesus' authority and his ability to heal that Jesus says to all who were present, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Such a statement draws attention to the beauty of the soldier's faith, but also to the lack of faith displayed by those around him, even those disciples who followed him. Surely, of course, complete faith like the centurions is desirable and commendable, but notice Jesus doesn't then turn his back on Israel or his disciples because they were not yet at the centurion's level. No, God is gracious. God is compassionate. He is patient. He sees and knows our struggle with faith and he is patient with us, calling and drawing us towards a more and more robust faith, but not shunning us because we are not yet complete. Faith is being certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see. May all of us Strive for a faith like the centurion's, but take comfort that in Mark 9, even the father who comes to Jesus seeking a healing for his son speaks honestly with Jesus, saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus did not send him away, but welcomed him and healed his son. Whatever assails us, whatever mystery confounds us, whatever difficulty or tragedy may befall us, we forever have reason to hope in the love and faithfulness of God. And we forever have the comfort, the mercy and grace of a compassionate creator. So for all of us, live as these men and women of God did in this hall of faith. Though imperfect, they were fearless in their faith. I want to close out with this prayer from Thomas Merton and then When I say amen, when we all say amen, you can stand and we'll enter into a time of worship. Thomas writes this. He prays this. Let's pray it with him. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. nor nor do I really even know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But, but I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I hope that if, if I do this, you will lead me by the right road though though I may know nothing about it, though I may be oblivious to it, I believe you will lead me there. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though Though I may seem to be lost, and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and I will never, ever let go of that. You will never leave me to face my perils alone. Our God's people said, amen.